Hallelujah. Get your Bibles. You're going to be in the book of uh, Romans this morning. But let's make our declaration first. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. It contains many great and precious promises for me. I am who the Bible says I am. I have what the Bible says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I will study the word and live according to it. Because the living word of God God is at work in me. me. Amen. Father, bless the teaching of your word this morning. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. The Lord has laid uh, something on my heart that I believe that we should do. I don't know that I've ever done this before quite this way. But we are going to spend some time in the book of Romans over the next many weeks, and I have a particular goal in mind as we uh, kind of do an overview on the book of Romans. I want us to take a spiritual journey through this book. A historian or an archaeologist would would take a close look at uh, artifacts and writings from history to determine how a particular culture or community lived in the past. Spiritually speaking, I want us to be like an archaeologist. I want us to dig a little bit around in the book of Romans. There's some unique things about this book, this letter to the church in Rome. And uh, so we can look through the book of Romans and determine what the Holy Spirit deemed important to communicate to the Christians in Rome. And we can further surmise from those writings what God desires to say to the church today through this letter. So I want to give you some background. I want to lay some foundation. And then over the next however long it takes, it's really difficult because um, I want us to do an overview. That means I can only give you um, little nuggets. They're appetizers. They're spiritual appetizers. As we, as we walk through the book of Romans and we go through this letter that Paul wrote, I want to give you some spiritual appetizers so that you'll want to go home and dig into the meal. Now we're on Sunday. Y'all look at the clock the minute I said that. Uh, 45 minutes, 30 minutes of teaching each week can only give you spiritual appetizers, things to whet your appetite but you must be willing to dig into the deep things of God. Yes. Scripture says that Paul wrote of things that were hard to understand. I think that the writer was probably talking about the book of Romans. There's a lot in here. It's one of my favorite books in Scripture. Um, probably because my father spoke into my life a lot out of the book of Romans. So you're going to get some of Dad's wisdom as we go through this. And, uh, and I'll, I'll share with you some of the things that I heard him say as we go through this. But... Uh, Paul, the writer of Romans, was formerly known as Saul. I'm, let me just give you some background, and then we'll get into the word. He was both a Jew and a Roman. He was highly educated. Until his conversion in the book of Acts, he was the primary persecutor of the church. 
I want you to bear in mind when you're reading through Romans and when you're studying this book that the man who penned these words at the instruction of the Holy Spirit had previously persecuted the very church that he's now writing to. Catholics believe that it was Peter who established the church in Rome. However, that is theory and cannot be established in fact. It is just thought that that, that knowing the history of his ministry life, that he was uh, the one who founded the church in Rome. But at the time of the writing of this letter, known, only as, known as the Book of Romans, the church in Rome had already existed for many, many years. In Romans 15.23, the apostle says, Now having no more uh, place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. The church in Rome had existed and the apostle Paul says, I have for years desired to come and see what God is doing in that place. That kind of motivates me to want to know a little more about this church. Because if the apostle Paul wanted to go there to see what God was doing, if he looked at this church and said, that's a place I've got to go, then it ought to be a place that we need to go. Um, So the the church was well-grounded and clearly a mature church. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 14, he said, I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So the Apostle Paul acknowledged the maturity of this house. He said, this is a mature church. This is a church that is able to build one another up and strengthen one another. So we ought to hear what God wanted to say to a mature church. And then um, the letter to the church is one of the only letters in the New Testament that does not deal with major error in the church or with organizational error issues such as other epistles. Other letters, the, the Apostle Paul or, or the other writers in the New Testament would write letters to the church and they'd say, the reason I'm writing this letter because I want to get up in your business and on your case. Right? I want to correct the fact that in Corinthians, he corrected them for uh, having sexual immorality, for living with their mother-in-law. I mean, really. Ew. I love you, but <laughs> see that see that'll preach itself. You don't have to go anywhere else with that or just preach itself. This church was well known, Romans 1.8. He said to them, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Everywhere, at that point in history, everywhere the Apostle Paul went, I thought, you, I thought when you were prophesying a little bit there, uh, Linda, that you were going to get up in my message. Uh, everywhere that the Apostle Paul went, people were saying, Do you, can, you, can you believe what God is doing in Rome? Can you believe, what, the, can you believe what, what I heard of those believers in Rome and how they're walking with God and how they're having fruit in their labors and how they're having things accomplished in their faith and how they're, they're impacting their world? Yeah. 
for the cause of the gospel. So, there, so there, was, there was this great fame that was going out through the known world about this wonderful church in Rome. The church was clearly full of strong leaders because when we get to the last chapter of the book, the entire chapter is just greet this leader and greet that leader and greet this family and greet these folks and, and share our love with these folks. The entire chapter is given as he closes the book of Romans to, to admonishing and strengthening and encouraging and, and expressing love to the leaders of that place. The church was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish believers, both slave and free, kind of like church today. Every ethnicity, every, uh, it was multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multi-economic environment. Rich and poor, bond and free, and they were serving the Lord together. I'm going to tell you, the kingdom of God is the best place to level the playing field. This world will not level the playing field for you. This world is not fair. I tell my children, when they tell me things happen to them, that's not. I didn't come here to be fair. The world isn't fair. The first thing you need to learn about life is life is not fair. But when you get in the kingdom of God, he'll level the playing field. I love that. So if I accomplish one thing more than anything else as we take this little journey together... uh, you will fall in love with the book of Romans. And I think that as you are reading the Bible through this year, um, we, we started last May and we'll finish up in May and we'll start again because we're, that is going to be a pattern of staying in the word in this house. And as you're reading the Bible through, somebody told me that that Bible guide that we gave you takes you through Romans twice. That's good if that's true. I don't know if it is or not. I didn't look that closely at it. But if... if If you wanted to add something to your reading schedule, I would go back through the book of Romans over and over and over again. So I want you to fall in love with this book. So let's go into chapter 1, and let's just begin there in the few minutes that I have left this morning. And we're just going to begin with verse... 1 and 2, and just kind of use that as our launching place. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now listen, I could spend all day right there. Because the apostle Paul describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, I am a servant. I am a bondservant to this cause. I am enslaved to this calling. Listen, if you think about this man who was, uh, as I said earlier, highly educated and who was a Roman and a Jew, and he had, I mean, in his day, you know what happened when the Apostle Paul became a believer? His mom and daddy goes, oh my God, that kid has blown it. I can't believe him throwing it all away. He was born with pedigree. He was born to wealth and influence. 
And in one day, in one encounter, because of the truth of the gospel, he was willing to throw away his influence. He was willing, he said, he said of himself, everything that I am and everything that is deposited within me, I count it all loss for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here was a man who was willing to throw away every ounce of influence if it meant his finances, if it meant his integrity in, in, in the world, the circle that he ran in, if it meant, uh, it, it meant losing everything for the cause of the gospel. So he said, I am in servitude to this cause. Oh, would to God that somebody would get in servitude to their calling. That the call of God, the purpose of God for your life would become the driving force behind who you are. That what God has called you to do would become the highest in your life. That's what he was saying here. You guys thought he was just greeting everybody. But there was an example out of his life in the first statement out of his mouth. I am enslaved to this purpose. I am bonded to this cause. Paul describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ on assignment as an apostle, authorized to proclaim God's word and acts. He says his letter is to all the believers in Rome, and he calls them God's friends. What a church this must have been. So here in the onset, Paul declares himself to be set apart. For the purposes of God. I want you to understand something, Church of Living Water. Above all other things, above all else, we as a body of people and, and this house is set apart unto the purposes of God. We are set apart unto his purposes in the earth. There is no higher responsibility than to be set apart unto God. So in the first few verses, this this chapter is divided into a a couple of sections. And in the first two, three through six, first three through six, the gospel is shared and Paul describes his life assignment and uh, the great commission is declared and a challenge is put forth. I want to read from the Amplified uh, Bible, verse three through six. Verse three says, the gospel regarding his son who as to the flesh, his human nature was descended from David, but as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated the Son of God in power. In a striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner by his resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One, it is through him that we have received grace his unmerited favor, and our apostleship to promote obedience to the faith and to make disciples for his namesake among all nations. And this includes you. I feel so challenged by those words. And this includes you, called of Jesus Christ and invited, invited as you are to belong to him. 
So in those first few verses, he says to them, listen, I am, I am a servant of God. I am enslaved to my purpose and to my anointing and to my life's assignment. And then he shares the gospel of Jesus with them, preaching to the choir. They're already believers. But he says, let me remind you of this. Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It is through him that we receive grace and apostleship to promote obedience to the faith. It is the challenge of the church. That's what these students were doing as they build one another up and they encourage one another is they are promoting obedience to the faith. Listen, above all, let's do this. If we're going to do anything, let's walk with God. If we're going to do anything, let's know him. To promote obedience to the faith and to make disciples, the Great Commission. Go into all the world to preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. And the Apostle Paul is straight up with them immediately. This is why I'm writing to you. This is why I come. We're here to preach Jesus, we're here to make disciples. And he says, just so you don't misunderstand, brothers and sisters, even though he starts out, I'm I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about my own calling, I'm talking about my own anointing, I'm describing to you about what God has done in my life, but just so you don't misunderstand, he says in verse 6, and this includes you. (laughs) By the way, this includes you. Called of Jesus Christ, there is an open invitation as you are to belong to him. Then he goes on in in verse uh, 8 through 12. We're not going to read all, clearly we'll be all year long if we read every uh, verse. But in verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the report of your faith is made known to all the world and is commended everywhere. Oh, I am praying that in this generation, that we raise a generation of, of people up in the earth whose faith is so well known in the earth that someone will say of them, I'm so excited to know you and I'm so excited to come and to visit with you and I'm so excited to be in your presence because of what I've heard about you. The Apostle Paul says to them, I want to come and hang out with you because of what I've heard about you. And we are to be the kind of believers that people are able to look at us and say, I just want want to hang out with you because there's something about you that I need in my life. There's something about you, believers. Listen, this is why, oh, man, every Sunday morning, I get up on Sunday morning, and there is an energizing in my spirit because the body of Christ is coming together, because the people of God are coming together, because there's something about you that I need in me. And there's something about hanging out together with believers and people of faith. So Paul describes 
He goes on and describes his work. He says, uh, For God is my witness, whom I serve with a whole spirit, rendering priestly and spiritual service and preaching the gospel and telling the good news of his son. How incessantly I always mention you in my prayers. I keep pleading that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last prosper and come to you. And I want you to understand what, what he's saying to them here. He's saying, Your faith is so great. And your walk with God is so, is so amazing and it's so uh, broadcast around the whole world that I want to come to you so bad that I'm praying to God that I can come and spend time with you. He goes on and tells him, so that, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. But you know what else he says after that? He says, I want to impart some spiritual gift to you, but I also want to receive from you. You know what he's describing? Ephesians chapter 4, the body of Christ, growing to a place of maturity until we all become joints that supply. Until we all become, until every one of us become a life-giving force in the body of Christ. That's why I've loved uh, little Juanita so much because I would get up around her and I feel the life of God coming out of her life. And that's why I've encouraged folks to go minister to her because she'll, she'll encourage you. Here she is in places of desperation. She'll encourage you. It just phenomenally amazes me. But it is a mystery in the kingdom that you, in your weakest moment and in your place of struggle and in your, in your humanness and in your flesh and in your, your uh, imperfection, that when you let a deposit of God come into you and you embrace the purpose of God and the deposit of God into your life, that you become in the body of Christ a joint that supplies a life-giving force to build up and strengthen somebody else. So the Apostle Paul says, I I need to come to you. And he says in verse 12, uh, or in verse 11, that I'm yearning, to see you, that I may impart and share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you, that is, that we may be mutually strengthened. I do not believe that members of the body of Christ give the correct uh, emphasis and understanding to the power of their participation within the body. I don't know, I think I mentioned to Benjamin the last time they were ministering in, in Sacramento, We love that God takes people out of this body and allows the life of living water to be invested in other places in the earth. We love that. But oh, when they are gone. And so I told him, I said, man, when you're gone, I'm just looking around and something doesn't feel right and it just feels so awkward. There's something missing. But it is that way for every one of us. It is that way for every one of you. When you are not in your place, there is an emptiness and a hole and something is missing. And the Apostle Paul recognized that. He says, oh, I want us to be mutually strengthened and encouraged and comforted by each other's faith. Your faith in God comforts me. My faith in God comforts you. 
It strengthens you when someone of faith, you see someone around you who's going through some difficulty, but yet they're able to walk through it with a big smile on their face and they're able to continue to rejoice and say, I don't know what's going on, but I know God is in control of the situation and and my confidence is still in him and I'm still walking with him and I'm I'm still moving toward him and I'm still allowing him to do what he needs to do within the context and the framework of my life. That builds up that individual who's going, man, if they can go through that and still walk with God, then I can go through my little petty stuff. I can walk through anything and walk with God. So the apostle was admonishing them on the, on the value of, of mutual faith and encouragement and comfort. Um, so anyway, let's see. Ooh. Just an overview. I hope it's making you hungry. Do you know what appetizers are supposed to do? You're supposed to take a little bite and it's supposed to make you want more. I hope it's making you hungry. Then two things happen in in verse 14 through 19. The Apostle Paul talks about an obligation that produces and eagerness to preach the truth. And then in verse 20 through 32, through the end of the chapter, he talks about God's wrath, God's judgment on mankind who, do, who reject him and who do not know him. There is a contrast within these two bodies of Scripture that I want you to get. And so I want to read first uh, verse 14 and 15 to you. Listen to this. Uh, This is from the Amplified again. Both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the cultured and the uncultured, to the educated and the uneducated alike, both to the wise and the foolish. Listen to what the apostle says. I have an obligation to discharge, a duty to perform, and a debt to pay. Can you let that sing it? He said, I have an obligation to discharge, a duty to perform, and a debt to pay. This is the Apostle Paul who threw everything that he had been given away for the cause of Christ. And he said, I see this as an obligation to discharge a duty to perform and a debt to pay. So for my part, I am willing to eagerly, uh, I'm willing and eagerly ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, now, I want you to contrast that. I want you to jump down to verse 20. And we're going to read a little bit here. He begins to talk about and to set an environment of the corresponding results of rejection in knowing, uh, of rejecting the known truth. Verse 20, For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, this is his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible and in and through the things that ha- in and through the things that have been made his handiwork so men are without excuse 
although altogether without any defense or justification. Those that reject the truth, he says, because of the very creation, they are without excuse because God has made himself so evident and so clear to them that if they reject the truth, they do it knowingly. That's what he's saying. So men are without excuse, without defense or justification, because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks, but instead they, came fu- they became futile and godless in their thinking. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. We'll, we'll get on a train, and we don't have time to, be, to ride that train. But he makes a contrast between, I have this obligation to preach the gospel because there are men and women who are dying without God. And I want you to see that there is this overlying tone of this obligation that the apostle felt to preach the gospel and to share the good news and to carry this cross of responsibility and to do the work of ministry in the earth because he understood that unless they receive the truth and unless something sparked their understanding that before God they are without excuse. So we have the truth And by the very fact and nature that we have the truth, we have an obligation. I preached to you in December and in January that your time has come. Your time is now. The reason that I can say that your time is now is because you won't be here later. (laughs) Your time is now. There's breath in your body now. There's an assignment in your life now. So God's message to man, the apostle understood that God's message to mankind left them without excuse. He goes on to explain to them in that, in that you need to read that in more detail, uh, verse 20 through 32. He goes on and he explains to him, they became fools. They worshiped the creation and idols. God gave them over to their own ways. It produced immorality and homosexuality. It, produced, uh, it produces penalty in health and in mental health. Uh, it, it, uh, the, the scripture says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And the apostle begins to talk about all of the results of their rejection of God. It produced a permeation of unrighteousness that destroys. And and in the weight of that understanding, in the weight of that understanding, he says to them, we have, I have within me this obligation. And I love the way he says this because he said in in verse 14, read it again. He said, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the cultured and the uncultured. I don't, he's he's like, to whoever will listen. That's what he was saying. Here's a man who had walked the halls of, of the greatest educational facilities of his day. And he says, I'll talk to anybody about Jesus.
to wise and the unwise. That's the smart and the stupid. That's what he said. I will talk to anybody about Jesus. I have this obligation that is within me, and that is what is driving my life. Oh, would to God that our obligation, that our, that our responsibility, that our understanding of the truth would become the driving force of our life. That is the tone of this entire book as he begins to share the gospel and as he begins to build up the believer and as he begins to encourage the church in Rome, there is this desire within him, this obligation to, to discharge, this duty to perform and this debt to pay. I'll talk to anybody. I'll tell anybody about Jesus. Oh, if they'll give me five minutes of time, I'll lead them to the Lord. If they'll give me a few minutes, I'll tell them the good news. It was Paul's understanding that he had of the gospel and his understanding of the results of sin, the destructive results of not knowing God, the results of unrighteous living that produced this statement in verse 14. Two motivations are seen here in the life of the Apostle Paul that I want us to get this morning in closing. I promise. His love for the church. Oh, listen, young people, this morning, Robert, when you were sharing, I fall in love with this church all over again. The family that God is forming here. The strength that he is making in the lives of the believer. The, the work that he's doing as we watch people grow and, and change and develop. And, and listen, if you, if you made a commitment to yourself this year, to, to, if you have not made a commitment to yourself to go through those 24 weeks of Timothy, I, I challenge you this morning, make a commitment to yourself to get your root down deep. God is forming something here that is so powerfully strengthening to the life of the believer. And so we see things like we saw today and we, we see the fruit of our investment and we see God moving. The Apostle Paul expresses here his love for the church and his desire to impart uh, something to them and to receive of them, to be strengthened in their faith and to strengthen their faith. And then the other motivation, his love for the world. Do you know the Bible says God is married to the sinner? Do you know what that means? That means when somebody doesn't know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he puts a hook in their life. And God is so determined, I'm not going to let go until you listen to me. You got some folks in your life that don't know Jesus, you ought to be equally as tenacious. I'm going to love you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to speak into your life. I'm going to beg, plead, whatever I have to do. I'm going to drag you to Jesus. There was these two great motivations in his life. His love for the fruitfulness of the body of Christ and his understanding of the destructiveness that comes when a life is lived apart from God. I'm asking God that as we study through this book and as we look through this, th- this letter, that those two motivations 
would somehow become a part of who we are. Because God has designed Church of Living Water to be motivated by a love for the body of Christ and a love for the world that is indescribable. Because every one of us can point to someone that doesn't know Jesus. And this is their opportunity and their time has come. Let's stand together this morning.